0: Those are the sultry tones of the intro of Frame Rate, the show where we rate frames. Hey, everybody, it's another one of those. I'm Abe Epperson, I'm one of your hosts, and I'm joined here with my other host, Michael 했습니다- Swain. M-m- hey, Michael. M-m- hey, man. It's How m- you doing? M- my
1: pleasure to be here. I'm good, I'm great.
0: Cool. I'm we talked about it. that
1: at length before we started rolling. So I think that's all I need to say.
0: That's great. Hey, I like the energy you're bringing. I'm loving it. Uh, but guess what? We got a third person here mm-hmm. and I want them to introduce themselves. So do that now.
2: Hello. I am author and uh, professional podcast guest, Jason Pargin. Going to say I was in back on the show. Have I ever been on this specific show before?
1: I believe you have. I feel but like I, you must have, but can't confirm. I cannot
2: remember what movie we would have been. We would have talked about. I've been on other shows in this network. I've been that's on the true. shows of everyone else who used to work at Crack. For those of you unfamiliar, <laughs> no. I used to be one of the bosses at Cracked back in the day when everybody was there. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I'm. Try, I was trying to think of what previous movie Found we had it. discussed, and it could not bring it to mind.
0: It was Nightcrawler. Oh, yeah, that's right. Very good movie. Very good movie. And we talked at length about it. Very cool. Very cool. (laughs) Hey,
1: thanks for being here. Yeah. Well, thanks for returning. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, professional, the word professional podcast guest implies pay. And uh, we'll talk about that after. <laughs> yeah,
0: we'll fi- we'll figure out a way for you can pay us however you want. But you I know, know?
1: Jason's zeal. Usually, he likes to plugs up front and at the back. Are we going to do that? I'll give you some space for that here. I know oh, you've got something you
2: want to tell the folks about. I assume only because I know that many people stop listening at the end when they when they detect the host wrapping smart. things up if smart. they can reach reach the off button. So yeah, I joke I'm a professional podcast guest. I'm a full-time novelist now and have been since I left Cracked a few years ago. Uh, the upcoming book released on in October is called If This Book Exists, You're in the Wrong Universe. It is the fourth book in the John Dice at the End series. If you've not read any of those books, you maybe have seen the movie. It's on streaming on most of the platforms. Just Google the title. Um but yeah, there there are multiple novels in that series, and so all of my time, I spend like twenty percent of the time writing, and the other eighty percent of the time is spent promoting by doing things like <laughs> podcasting
1: this. specifically. Mm-hmm. Okay, that what is... else do you get up to besides the podcast casting? Do they have you doing chats and tours and panels?
2: No, I I just have okay. to maintain, like I maintain all of my social media channels on my own. So I have gotcha. the Twitter. And I have three different Facebook pages, and I have a Goodreads page and a Substack newsletter slash uh, blog and an Instagram, and now a TikTok account and a YouTube page. I update all of those. I think all told, I have 11 different things I keep updated um, because if you're an author, you are your own promotion person. The publisher's job is to get the book into stores. They talk to the stores in order to get people to buy it That is your job as the writer. A lot of people are shocked to find that out when they get a book deal because they think, wow, I have a book deal. Now now I just write the book and sit back. And uh, no, that turns out that's only a tiny part of the job. And that's very reasonable as a writer to say, well, now, hold on. I did the hard part. I wrote the book. It should sell itself. It's really good. That is not how it works. (laughs) It is... You're dealing with an audience that has 8 billion things they could be watching or listening to or reading if they wanted to try to tear away their attention long enough to read a whole book. They have to be reminded 70 or 80 times (laughs) to buy
1: it. Science has proven this. That's the, yeah, 75 repetitions is the sweet spot (laughs) where that neuron is formed. Yeah. uh,
2: So there are some people out there who have literally never heard my voice before. There are other people that have heard me on nine podcasts this month. <laughs> that is just the way it works, and they're come, I, I they've don't.
1: come back to lap up more. Well, you know, Jason, you know, it reminds me of another little a little guy who promoted a book, a book that <laughs> a did guy. fairly well. Uh, it's called the Bible. Maybe you've heard of it, and yeah. of course, I refer to. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ cuz we're talking about the last temptation of Christ today <laughs> that was too good of a segue for me not to take it I'm
0: sorry And uh, it makes perfect so, sense cuz Jesus
2: yeah. was walking around saying read this so, story God, read about me my <laughs>
0: book my <Yeah, laughs> my book And uh, before we continue I do want to thank uh, Zach Schwartz oh, as very always important. long time Oh it's a Zach long attack time fan. I didn't know. Attack. It's a Zach snack uh the deal is that at, here at Small Beans if you uh subscribe to our Patreon tier uh the pick the flick tier you get to choose the movie and that's just what Zach did look at Zach be like Zach and he chose The Last Temptation of Christ and he also chose You Jason to be here with us. So we reached out, you said yes, and here we are. That's all I wanted to say. I cannot so- identify
2: with someone who pays for the right to pick the movie and then picks a well-regarded award-winning film by Martin Scorsese. Like how do you not just make the host watch watch some some porn sequel, some, some porn parody. Oh, see, parody you should some- have been
1: on for our Southland Tales episode, which we recently <laughs> struggled through. We sometimes veto it.
0: It's oh, okay. You, you, I didn't realize We, know, we don't do research. everything. Yeah, oh. My
1: understanding is Gamefully will take any piece of shit that you throw at them, <laughs> but we will veto. We will veto. Uh, yeah, so, okay. 1998, Scorsese, based on the novel by Nikos Kazantzakis, which is the only time in the podcast I'll try to pronounce that. Uh, and a film that I had heard a lot about, of course, my whole life, and the big takeaway for me was always Willem Dafoe as Jesus Christ. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. and uh, But I had never seen it, so I'm grateful to have finally seen it. I always expected it to be on the order of like a garden of good and evil or some kind of sophisticated referendum on morality, and it is and it isn't. I actually found it surprisingly straightforward, way more straightforward than I expected it to be. Um, But... I will subsume myself because I think we should hear from Jason first. Uh, Jason, what's your relationship to The Last Temptation of Christ? Had you seen it before?
2: I think it's exactly the same as yours. I had never never watched it, but here's where, for some listeners may not know the background here, this film was the subject of massive controversy when it came out. in mm-hmm. 1988, well, is that what we said? That's yeah, right. Um, and for example, like the video stores in my hometown never carried it. Blockbuster Video, The Chain, I think, don't didn't carry the VHS when it came out. It was widely boycotted and protested against. So like you, I had heard of it for that reason. I And, you know, I grew up um, with a very like religious childhood. My mother went mm-hmm. to an evangelical church. I was raised there. So I would have been at an age, I would have been 13 when this came out. So I would have been old enough. That I kind of was done with the the whole like fundamentalist church stuff and was starting to have like teenage friends and do teenage stuff, but at the same time, if I hadn't gone to a theater to see it and I don't think it showed anywhere close to where I was, it simply would not have been accessible to me. This is the kind of thing that's hard to convey to the kids of the internet era. There was a time when some media you simply couldn't put your hands on,
1: mhm-. And we're not talking about cop rock or whatever obscure thing, here. <laughs> like major stuff. Uh, and was that because it diverted from the gospel? Because there's a Chiron at the beginning that says, I guess it's not a Chiron because it's over black. Um, there's text at the beginning that says, this is not based on the gospels, but upon the fictional exploration of the eternal spiritual conflict. And what shocked me after that is watching the whole movie and realizing Uh, wait, when is it going to divert from the gospel? Cause it only really in the back half of act three diverts from the traditional telling of the Jesus story other than vernacularizing it, you know, like he still does Mm. the sermon on the Mount. He, he builds the lightsaber. Like he does all the Jesus stuff you want from him. Um, (laughs) but at the end there's this, and we'll get into it. I think we'll probably maybe summarize. Most people know the story of Jesus, I would think, but, Mm. uh, it feels like, like, I'm wondering if that was, do you know, Jason, if that was the point of the controversy at or just the, that someone would bear to, de, or like dare to depict the gospel or what was the. At
2: the time, at the time, because I remember this vividly in middle school and when it, because it was actually on like the nightly news. Um, It was entirely about the nudity specifically seen so and specifically seeing Mary Magdalene's breasts. Yeah. yeah. I never heard like complaints about the ways because. To be frank, every piece of Christian media has little divergences. You just can't, stuff doesn't translate so well into film without putting your own spin on it. It Mm -hmm. was entirely about the nudity and the sexual content, because one very key difference is that one of the big um, temptations of Jesus in this story is the premise of having sex with Mary Magdalene and marrying her and that he's having to abstain from that. And it even says, like, she went into prostitution because he refused to marry her. That's not in the Bible whatsoever. But realistically, if you were trying to tell, you know, a more realistic, grounded version of the story, that and, and the whole premise is that he never had sex with a woman because that would have been sin, that would be, yeah, one of the key temptations of if he's a, you know, a young heterosexual man. Um, so they added that here, and I think that was just the puritanical nature of—now, I think protests elsewhere in Europe probably focused on different things and reading up on it, like in prep for this podcast. There were a lot of people that had more like complaints about specific things that were changed. Um, But when I was a kid, all I heard about was it was Gorsese inserting the the nudity.
1: Although, interestingly, they blur dicks on the like – they literally put smudges on the film. It looked like to blur dicks in the few times that there's like nude revelers being baptized or whatever. So even Scorsese, yeah. I don't think Scorsese was trying to like rub nudity in our faces, which makes that very funny. Uh, I also surprisingly
0: as, we didn't see uh, Willem Dafoe's confusingly <laughs> large right. penis according to Lars von Trier. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, did this apply to
1: Jesus Christ Superstar? Did you see that when
0: it came
2: out? jason no not at all like i know what it is but that's that's an example where i can't remember like i'm sure that was a source of controversy anything you make because that diverts very
1: directly in a way that is blasphemous because it makes judas very uh sympathetic in a way that i think traditional interpretations of the bible are not on board with and I know it was controversial at the time. It's funny cause I didn't see those things cause I was raised so irreligious. It just had no bearing on it. Like my family didn't care about that. So we never saw it, but I'm glad I have. I, I, and i especially since it's Scorsese, uh, Abe, we haven't heard from you. What are your, what's your last temptation starting? Point? Um,
0: well, I watched it as a part of film school when mm-hmm. you, you know, say here's Scorsese. Um, And I've watched it twice now. Um, Both times I kind of had the same view of it, which is just that it's surprising how Catholic the telling of this tale is. Like if we want to ever get into, and I don't know where where this podcast wants to go, but like what I find most fascinating about Scorsese's rendition of it, and it kind of touches upon what Jason was uh, elucidating about uh, how, people were reacting to it at the time is the whole act two, act three, where basically Jesus is convinced that uh, an angel has, will take him down from the cross and live another life away from being the Messiah. And that's okay. Cause God is says, I punished you enough. Like and Abraham and
1: Isaac. In. He's like, I was just yeah. testing you. And you that, went to the limit. You did it. You're good.
0: And so that with that one kind of conceit twist, what Scorsese has done is carved out a little hole for him to even do on top of all the trials that are in the Bible or in the gospels that are saying like, Jesus was a man. So therefore Jesus had all these temptations and he just was knocking them down. Like whatever, whatever. Um, he finally has a space now a free blank verse to say, but what about like stuff that we think is good? like having a family and raising kids and you know, being happy. These are things that are on the table for all of us. Right. And it's a very Catholic principle. I mean, it's Christian, but it's Catholic because they harp on it. Uh, the idea of that Well, specifically Jesus was the one who said, I will not have the happiness and all of those things so that you can all right. So it's very punishing a very like Jesus's focus on Jesus's fear and his sin. Um, but like, and it's about him being a coward, um, which makes him very human. That's a very uh, Catholic principle as well is that we're like, that's why we need Jesus is because we all are cowards in our essence. That's the original sin. And so it's this kind of prelude Uh, And it's like what eventually he'll die for. And it's kind of appealing to that. Um, But ultimately my takeaway is that I don't think Scorsese goes all the way with his ideas. He gets very close. He opens them up. It's definitely different than passion of the Christ, which is a very like pre Vatican II like Mel Gibson's version, which is just like, just the facts he's immutable, you know? Um, But just the idea of like him, Showing Jesus as a man, um, that was enough for people to go, whoa, whoa, whoa. He's also God. You can't say one without the other. Um, So when he says stuff like, I will cleanse the world with fire, people are going to react to that. I think that that's cool. Um, I think that that's a good movie. But I think Scorsese knew that it would largely be irresponsible uh, to make a film like that. So he shied away from it. Like, we don't see Jesus as a battle commander. We don't see Jesus literally destroying the temple and making the bricks disappear. There is no battle. It's just the preamble. And I think that that's probably him saying, like, I don't want to make a holy war here because of a
1: film. I mean, I... Not, I don't think it's the primary consideration because it's not like low budget, but I also think a battle scene would have cost a lot. It was probably part of the consideration Um, or, you know, a multiplicity of factors that arrived at that conclusion. But uh, yeah, it is interesting in that it diverts to he takes the axe from John the Baptist. Uh, it's almost like a John Wick thing or like uh, John the Baptist basically teaches him to be hard and to be a badass Uh, He says, the devil's in the world all around us. We must pick up an ax and cut the devil's throat. Uh, And he rips, uh, Jesus pulls his own heart from his chest and says, this is my heart. Take it. uh, And you will be true Klingons. Uh, And yet you're right that then we see him wild out in the temple on the money changers, but we don't see we cut, we omit or ellipse the actual battle or, you know, this is mostly a Jesus of love. But what I think is notable is it's a Jesus of imperfection. Right. And that's, I think what Abe was saying, but I I just think it's important to highlight the aspect of Jesus as man or God as man, right. Or this interpretation of God as man in this direction is the idea that he has to be imperfect And he has to actually experience the experience of what it is to be a flawed, sinful, imperfect human and still die on the cross. That's what makes him (laughs) so great. Like, that's what makes him God. He couldn't have skated through it with angel powers. And had it been easy, this interpretation of Jesus's journey is that, yes, Jesus is God. God was trying to turn from the vengeful God of the past to turn a new leaf, to be like the new God of love. And to do that, he had to actually experience. So Scorsese does things like the voices that, and this reminded me of uh, a recent King Arthur, the one with Keira Knightley, I forget the name, but this (laughs) interesting, like true historical interpretation where the sets and costumes and props are truly very uh, primitive by our standards. like, really basic. He goes to these like mud huts and a few sentences in, you're like, Oh, this is a monastery. It's just some huts of mud on like a desert plain. And I think that gives it a really interesting aspect because in the same way, his vo- visions from God and voices from God in all of act one are treated like, well, he could just have schizophrenia and he doesn't even know. Like people ask him, sir, are you hearing God? And he goes, I don't know. I hear voices and my head hurts and I collapse. Uh, I should I do what the voices say? Um, And it's that appeal to that moment. I mean, Rolling Stone's talk about it, right? The moment of doubt Jesus has on the cross. He has to have that moment of doubt because if he doesn't have that moment of doubt, he didn't pull a full human and he's got to pull a full human for the sacrifice to work. Uh, Or so the story goes. And I think what's interesting, I guess I'll, I'll say I find it medium interesting because I do think it's been softened by being done repeatedly again and again. For example... Inner Light the TNG episode is this cuz this is basically the idea it's an occurrence at Owl Creek Jesus it's what if Jesus right before death had a delusion that he got to live a whole normal human life and enjoy really being the things a human would enjoy like love and acceptance and family blah 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 but it was just a fraction of time right it's right. Yeah, i mean there's literally a guardian angel it's it's a wonderful Jesus uh essentially um and so, yeah, I kind of want to dig into, because I guess I'm not as granularly familiar with the Gospels to know the little deviations, because I will say the one big deviation or the one thing that he expands upon is that moment of doubt on the cross, and he turns it into, like, a whole lifetime. And uh, I find that cool and interesting, but not, like, heretical or thr- or trying to break the Bible in any way. Like, I think he was pretty respectful with the
2: material. I guess I have a separate question, uh, completely mm-hmm. aside from the religious aspects. Like, if you were just judging this as a film, as a story, if you're just judging the, the structure, the pacing, the performances, would you, like, where would you, is this among your favorite Scorsese films? Do you think that as a classic Scorsese movie?
0: For me no, uh, I find it actually one of the lower tiers. see me too um, it, to me it's, it's very personal and I think that that he he gets a lot of cachet on that but the film itself is not doesn't translate well to me for me.
2: Well, for example, like you learn this this twist on Jesus's character where the whole thing is that it's that doesn't again not part of the gospels where he's constantly struggling with, struggling with his his own cowardice. And actually depicts him as he doesn't want to be Jesus, as using his skills to make crosses to crucify other people on other people. Oh, right. He's a
1: collaborator. That is a major Um, departure. Which is, yeah.
2: And and again, this is where, as a screenwriter, you you would say, if you're coming in cold, you would look at it and say, well, this Jesus character needs an arc. Like, so, you know, in the Bible, he's he's holy as an infant, as a child. He's already teaching to people older than him. Like, he is perfect. He's Superman. He's perfect throughout. And you would say, no, this the, he has to start from somewhere. And otherwise, the story's not heroic. He spends the whole time knowing that he's God, knows that if he dies, he'll just come back. Like, no, you've got to make him vulnerable, make him fearful. And so, they create a character where... He is—he abstains from sin not because he's good, but because he's scared. He says it himself. Like he doesn't go off with Mary Magdalene. It's not because he successfully, you know, his strength of soul withstands the temptation. He's scared of her. He's scared of settling down with her. He's afraid of what God will do to him, or he's afraid of just taking risks in life. So that's that's a new spin, and that's trying to humanize the character. But you learn all of these things by Willem Dafoe saying them out loud. He literally just states his own character again and again, which is – it kind of always recognizes bad writing. It's hell instead of show, because the whole thing is yeah. normally a character like that is compelling when they're not aware of their own vulnerabilities. Like you see <laughs> I, it. You see how they act, yeah. but where their own self-image is actually wrong or whatever. But here – He's so totally aware of himself, and it's like just a writing shortcut. He basically turns to the camera and says, "Hey, here's the version of Jesus in this movie."
0: Yeah. Not only that, he when it does come to the those first act actions, um, there's kind of a little writer hack there as well, because you notice that he will say, like, "I want to tell everyone." the thing that i told you in private that i pity everything and i don't care care what happens to me because i'm a coward but what came out of my mouth was love you know like god just made me say that yeah yeah his first sermon is like particularly sweaty it's the The crowd yeah the crowd thinks that his promises are fairy tales and then he's like there's justice Uh, for everyone including the rich and the crowd is immediately like I see eat the rich which you know is frankly pretty dope but it's not like his MO it's not against what he was saying before now he has like now he has an MO before he was aimless now he suddenly uh, has this kind of righteousness that we have to assume comes from God and that is just kind of a snap reaction that happens Mm. off screen or instantaneously in front of us. And we just can't like decipher it. It's not something that's available to us as the viewer. But I think that that actually, hmm, and Scorsese does this
1: a lot, which is very interesting to me is that he, uh, I think Scorsese is attracted to story where non-traditional structures are quote unquote allowed because of the subject matter. So for example, Jesus is allowed to do that because that's what Jesus does in the Bible to some degree. You'll accept it. Like Jason was saying, if you approach this as a traditional movie, but people don't, right? They, they approach it and go, well, he's adapting the Bible. Jesus did that. So he's allowed to do that. I will say it struck me as very ballsy even that Jesus has an inner monologue in this film, a la like a hard-boiled detective. Like Jesus mm-hmm. is in his brain how t- t- saying his thoughts, as if to say Scorsese can write the mind of God. <laughs> That's quite a statement <laughs> in and of itself. But what I think mm-hmm. just to carry through the Scorsese train thought, uh, 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 good fellows is a biopic, and so the structure is broken and sometimes random diversions happen because that happens in life. Raging Bull is a pretty traditional arc, Um, but even The Departed, I think it's an adaptation of another film, Infernal Affairs, if you haven't seen that, also good. Um, But I think that he probably, part of what appealed to him about that is that it's a, a dual protagonist mirror arc, right? So like Scorsese doesn't, he likes imperfect contradictions uh which is kind of cool because this film is about how the key component of what makes jesus jesus is that he wasn't perfect and that he was contradictory right like that's true he said love and then later he grabs the axe and you're like but i thought you said love and he's like i don't even know what i'm doing man and you're like wow that's It's almost the relationship I had to Eminem as a young man where I was like, he knows he's (laughs) fucked up. That's what makes him interesting as an artist. Uh, And I think Jesus has some of that mystique in this where you're like, uh, I don't get this Jesus. He's like imperfect and contradictory. Oh, yeah. Like a human. Ah. And therefore, he can stand for us and die for us. Uh, I like the vibe, but it's it. Well, I didn't find it highly engaging. I agree with you guys there. The
0: pace, yeah. There's other reasons why I don't think it's a good film. Product or, of its time, know, it's a solid film, just because like pacing and etc. But mm-hmm. uh, I think I think what you're saying is actually very true. Um, I think we can nitpick the filmmaking and the storytelling in it but it is true that it's a scorsese picture and he's never truly obeyed those rules and i think that that is something i would agree with
1: how about is that how about Kaitel as judas man or did jason have a more coherent thought than that
2: <laughs> well uh, harvey Keitel pretty. won the golden raspberry for worst performance oh, for really? his role as judas which i thought was weird because i thought he was as wasn't being any more stilted than anybody else. I mean, he's Harvey no, Keitel right. playing a tough guy, like you know, he, like he his contrary to what's in the Bible. Here, he's playing Judas as a revolutionary who his whole beef is he wants. I mean, they're under Roman occupation. His whole deal was I want a revolution. I don't want to save. And Jesus saying like, no, we're, we're the revolution will be more subtle souls. than that. Yeah, it, it, and he's yeah, like, no, it's, no, no. We it's gotta changing. kill him. He's changing minds, and whereas he and these other, like, this, this very tough people who had been ruled by, that's for again, for those unfamiliar, uh, this area at the time was ruled by Herod the Great, who was, basically, is like a vassal state to the Roman Empire. So the Romans didn't directly control it, but the way they did it, they would just appoint a guy to kind of rule it. So in the Bible, Herod is not in this movie. In the Bible, he's the one who like, orders Jesus to be killed and sees him as a threat and all that. He was the bad guy who they all hated, the actual people actually living there at the time. You know, he was the hated ruler that, you know, kind of had the the boot on their, on their neck. So mm-hmm. that's the context that gets lost a little bit, um, because in the Bible, part of the whole process of Jesus getting crucified is them moving through this bureaucracy, because it's like, the local Roman governors, they just want this to go away. It's like, it's like, this is the Jews are yelling at each other about something. Just what Bury do you it. need? What, yeah. what do you need for me to calm this down? And so in this movie, the only thing they show of that is a wonderful cameo by David Bowie. Um, as Pontius Pilate. Yeah. As Pontius Pilate who comes in and kind of tries to, and he, I think gives the best performance in the film because he's, he, he, Absolutely, comes off as this kind of haughty Roman official who is just sees all this as silly. It's like the the rabble are all riled up about something, so he tries to talk to this Jesus character who is telling him, like, "Well, no, you know, he's like, I've heard you can do miracles. Do a miracle for me. Just let me see it." And he's like, "Well, I'm not, you know, I'm not a a, a performing monkey. No, I'm not gonna." And he's like, "Well, then you're just you're just another guy stirring up trouble." He's like, "You're gonna get." you know, you're going to be executed, they're going to execute you, they've handed you over to me to be executed, and Jesus basically won't offer up any defense of himself because he knows that this is like like fate. But it, I think in that case, he's one of, David Bowie is playing it as like the most natural of all of them, where he's actually playing it like a human being would act in that scene rather than... Someone uh, reciting these famous, yeah. doing the Bible, which, which this is part of it is that coming from like an evangelical background, I've seen the Bible story in the form of cartoons and coloring books. Like it's not just the Bible. I've seen movie after movie after movie and TV movies, like every version of it, every G rated version of it, they would show Greatest it in, you know, in Sunday told. school. So the idea of like you watch it because you've seen it so many times you're just so much of it is just oh we're playing the hits okay here he is you know saving the woman from being stoned in the movie they switch it so that's Mary Magdalene in the actual story it's just an unnamed woman um he does the Lazarus like, okay, thing. okay here's he does the, the
1: wine yeah here's
2: water and the wine here's so it's just like how am i supposed to feel anything like am i actually supposed to be sitting there saying Oh my, oh my gosh, he your water the wine. How? That's <laughs> like, no, it's, you've seen it a million times. It's, it's, it doesn't mm. affect you because it's, it's a cliche. It, it, it's not possible for it to move you emotionally unless he was to put some totally different context into it. And I yeah. feel like he yeah. tries that, but still, when you're doing the Christ story, you're just, you have to play the hits. And I feel like as an artist, it's got to, feel restrictive unless you're just making some totally piece of subversive art where it's like, well, I'm gonna have Jesus played by a woman and uh, you know, everybody'll be mad. It, otherwise, it's gotta feel like this has to look a certain way. We we know how Jesus dressed. He's gotta have the beard. He's gotta have the longish hair. He's got and I don't know. I just I like I can't imagine watching this as just a movie. The way I would sit down to watch Goodfellows or something, like I'm just enjoying it for the drama because the one part that is new that the entire like the, the titular Last Temptation, like that comes in, you know, the latter half of the movie. But even then, it ultimately comes back to he, he screams out, "It is finished, or it is accomplished," and then mission the, accomplished, Banner. And he, yeah, <laughs> and okay, um, they they don't do the resurrection, which. But fine um but i don't know i i didn't because I, I try to think of what would have made this really sore in my mind and it's like well there maybe would have been an opportunity to cast a really interesting satan for example cast david bowie as satan and actually have him appear as as david bowie as this really charismatic satan that could have been cool dressed Contact as david bowie as modern the whole time yeah uh, or something, and the, all of the opportunities to put some kind of spice into it. I thought Harvey Keitel just straight up playing uh, Judas as being from Brooklyn is pretty fucking
0: hilarious. Is
2: uh, it's like yeah, he's a Brooklyn tough guy. I love it. It that's that's almost campy the way he plays it. And they gave him like red, like curly red hair. Not mm-hmm. not canonical, mm-hmm. as far as I know. Uh, that. That uh, Judas, Judas was, was a, a hothead. A
0: We all needed Harvey Keitel to just like t- try and threaten to kill us every now and then. Just follow us wherever Make we go. Make us our best. Just self. waiting to bust our ass up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> As he said, yeah. If you divert from the path one inch, I will kill you. <laughs> I will kill you. I, love
1: uh, I like that Bowie, who I thought was Herod. I get, but I, I just looked it up and he's Pontius. That's interesting. Yeah. It, Cause in, at least in Jesus Christ, superstar Herod, I wonder which is in the Bible. Herod's the one who says do a miracle for me. Uh, but regardless, uh, he has a great little monologue about how the conservative, about conservatism in its soul, like that there's just that the stagnancy that is inherent in people who rise to power by whatever means don't want it to change because they're in power now. Do you mm-hmm. not understand that? Because Jesus is like, yeah, but we're not going to overthrow you, man. It's love, man. And he's like, we don't want it to change at all. Why? We're in power, uh, which I did think like was a good mask off little monologue just about class consciousness. Um, but I agree with you. The fact that at the end it goes, well, this was all just a dream and the mission is accomplished and Jesus is Jesus. Uh I don't know. You guys are talking me into being disappointed by it, but I guess I didn't expect it to be that big of a departure. I didn't like put it on thinking, <laughs> I wonder what wild twist on this tale he has in store for me. Um, so I wasn't let down by that. I was more delighted by the casting, frankly. It's a fun group of people to watch. And it and it allowed me to mull over questions that I always mull over when I'm presented with the gospel question. Like, I'll never get over that it's encoded into our core story or one of the f- core stories of our culture. Uh, Cause if Jesus is right and it is, the Bible is through a male gaze largely. And if Jesus is, if we take the story this way, and I do think Jesus is the protagonist and he represents humanity, right? If we're Jesus in the Bible story, or we're supposed to at least sympathize with Jesus and uh, both his, I'll just never get over that, like, it's encoded into that story that he has a mother who's a virgin whose name is Mary and the other character whose name is some whore whose name is Mary. <laughs> like That's really weird. It's just very bizarre, like, uh, idea that has been a cornerstone of our entire civilization. I will uh, mm-hmm. well- Continue go ahead. the thought if you have more. Oh, well, no, the, I was just going to connect it to Batman and Superman, but you go ahead. That's, yeah, yeah, I, I figured
0: that's where we're going there. Martha? Uh, okay, so to me, that what you just pointed out is probably the encapsulates one of the better moments in this film. Like, I was critiquing it earlier for saying it didn't go far enough, and I still stand by that. But I do think that some of the stuff that I do think made me go, okay, now this is the real shit is when he's at like full congregation and he's like walking to Jerusalem. Uh, and his mother comes and he like basically disowns her and says like, who are you? I'm not for you.
1: I'm God now. I'm
0: God. I'm God's son. And, uh, she's like, she loses it. And like one of, I I forget who it is. Uh, like uh, just a, a friend, uh, you know, like a, whoever was with, uh, the Virgin Mary mm-hmm. uh, is like did, when he spoke, wasn't it amazing? He had like a thousand angel wings behind Around him. Didn't his you head. see them? Yeah. And she's just like, I don't give a fuck about any of that. I just like, want my son. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And that like, to me is the heart of like, if we want to display the humanity and the fault of the idea of divinity inside humanity, if we really want to tackle that beast, we should put confront the true like horror of that and how it affects the personal relationships. Um you don't really feel that in this movie. Um but you do feel it in that moment. Like I really did sympathize sympathize for Mary in that moment, oh, right? Yeah. Because it's mm-hmm. just like, who's this motherfucker? For all we know, he's a lunatic for that's he's just, just a painful
1: just, thing to go through for anyone, yeah.
0: Yeah, and like his mother is like now has to deal with this shit like a single mother who raised him like has to deal with this shit and it's just like that to me is the cost of the fanaticism and of course i'm you know not really a believer so of course i'm going to take this kind of viewpoint but i still think it stands that like if you do if you do perceive the human element as being like kind of uh you know, a contradiction um, a little bit, which I think that most Christians actually do. I think that's why that he's an impossible kind of paradoxical figure is because he was like kind of joined together at the hip with the spirit and the human. Um, mm-hmm. And because of that, we lost this aspect of it. Just, it, it was a melding that went fine. And I do think that Scorsese is on the right topic when he's like, what if it isn't fine though? And I know that that's a lot of, a lot of Christianity is around the struggle and the sacrifice, but it doesn't really go into. Yeah. But what about the stuff that we the then go? Struggle. What the stuff that we then go and say, these are the things that like Jesus did for us. To like save us, you know, like to get rid of our original sin, to allow us to be happy, to allow us to, you know, uh be fruitful and multiply or I guess, able to like access
1: to eternal life after yeah, death. Exactly. Yeah.
0: All those things in order to do that, like what was the cost? And I want to see those personal costs, not just the internal, like he's tormented, that I get from just the Bible. Mm-hmm. It's the idea that how he tormented everyone else around him by being who he was that I feel like Scorsese could have really gotten into. And that's why I think that that moment is probably the best moment in the whole feature.
2: Well, Mm -hmm. and one of you mentioned earlier that, um, it looks for a certain part of this movie. Like he's just, hallucinating you know, like it legitimately because he's not performed any external miracle so he talks about hearing the voice of god he goes out into the desert as is in the bible where he's tempted um and interesting
1: overlap of, with other religions sorry just because you know the buddha meditated for 30 days and vision quests very similar um but go ahead
2: yeah and that's th- there's a whole other bunch of scholarship about how much what ideas were borrowed from where and mm-hmm. how these stories come together. But um, anyway, uh, and so I thought when watching it, I thought, oh, I know why this is controversial, because we are never going to see whether or not this was real. And and so then the the real drama is in the fact that this man doesn't know if he's crazy and that the people around him don't know if he's crazy, but then it seamlessly transitions into him, uh, resurrecting the dead, you know, performing miracles. And there's not like this, like the first time he performs a miracle, it feels like it should be this momentous thing where he realizes, Oh, it was all true. This is, this was true. I wasn't crazy because it's weird that early on, He expresses real doubt about whether or not God is talking to him or if if it's God. But the, I guess, okay, I feel like people at the time, they clearly knew what mental illness was. Like, it's true that they tended to claim people were possessed by demons if they acted in a certain way. Things Things like epilepsy, schizophrenia were written off as demon possession. But there are also references to people being mad. Like, he's mad. He's right, going crazy. Sure. So yeah, Ophelia. They, they knew that going nuts was a thing, so it the, it should have come in. And, of course, in the Bible, it, you know, people constantly are saying about Jesus, he's, he's nuts. He's gone nuts. Like, he's, somebody mm-hmm. needs to help him. He's gone crazy. So I thought early on that's what Scorsese would lean into because that is true doubt. Like, can right. I trust my own senses? Can I trust how I'm per- perceiving the world? And there's a way to write the movie where it's like, okay, th- this guy I brought back from the dead—was he even dead? Was he in a coma? You know, did, did they just not check? Or what you know, if
1: Jesus had to die on the cross, truly, never knowing right. for sure that he was the Son of God? That would be very compelling. I and agree. so yeah.
2: the moment—the moment of doubt becomes was this all for nothing? Like all of this pain was this all for nothing and then he has to die not knowing, then not knowing that he 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 had just changed the world. Like that, you know, 2000 years later his name would live on and would be the cornerstone of a whole section of civilization. Right. Mm-hmm. Um that he'd be one of the most important people that ever lived, but that in this moment he was just a man and then shoot it and write it in a way that the viewer can decide was he supernatural or not but it doesn't go that direction which and i get why he wouldn't because that that would probably mm. he would probably see that as going too far but i feel like it the story you're trying to tell about the true human fragility if it reaches a point where he sees like actual manifestations like oh i can literally do magic that changes the equation. I, I, uh, I mean, know. when he
1: turns water into wine, he cheerses and winks at the camera, essentially, <laughs> like he does. A, like that was cool, wasn't it? F- it's effortless for him. <laughs> yeah. Like he doesn't
2: doubt that he can do it, or he doesn't have to concentrate. He doesn't have to ask God for it. He can just do it. He can change reality. So
1: mm-hmm.
2: I don't know. Uh, um I don't know. That, yeah, no, that's one of those. You just pitched a hell of a movie. I agree.
0: Yeah. That's one of the reasons I feel like he didn't go far enough. And I think it's for the same reason he, so, uh, a little history on the, uh, the, the post of this film, like Mm -hmm. when it came out is that like Scorsese got death threats to the point that he, there were big enough that Scorsese had to have bodyguards for public appearances for years. Um, obviously it was banned in many, many countries. There was a terrorist attack in 1988. Um, where in Paris, where basically, uh, someone made a bomb to, uh, which kill, like I believed just injured people like a, a, Mm. a dozen people and like almost burned the cinema down. Um, so, and then of course there was protests and all that. Um, but it was such a, for the film to be what it was in the same way that I think that like there was like a cultural moment for Christians all around the world for Passion of the Christ as a kind of uplifting experience, mm-hmm. this was one that was designed to be like, hey, let's look at this in a different light, which I think is a much more brave thing honestly to do about some uh, the old stories that we tell ourselves uh especially you know especially if they're as important as uh, the bible for some people mm-hmm. um that's just me i'm kind of contrarian but i think he was very fearful about and he has his own catholicism to deal with like he didn't want to make the film that like drifted a bunch of people away from catholicism mm-hmm. um so like i think that that's why I think you need, in order to make the film that I think both Jason and I are kind of pitching around, you have to have someone secular to write or direct it, right? You well, can have someone of faith.
2: Let's put even more spin on that. So the book was written in 1955, not the Bible, the the novel, that this, mm-hmm. <laughs> The Last Temptation of Christ. It was met with protest. It was banned in many countries. They sure. had been trying to make this into a film since 1971. This was a nearly two-decade-long project, and projects kept getting shut down because as soon as word got out that they were funding it, that they were casting it, there would be protests, there'd be pressure from you know elected officials. And it was by the time it got made, Scorsese's version got made in the late 80s, it was on a $7 million budget and a very tight schedule. He said that it, the whole shooting Just was basically done done on like an emergency basis. Like that's the scale of this movie is extremely limited. The sets are very mm-hmm. limited. There's a point where you should have had Jesus preaching to crowds of thousands. Um, and you don't There's get There's like that. a it, dozen guys there going, well, it,
1: who's this? What's this about? Yeah. yeah. And,
2: it, and you never get a sense of how transformative what he's, it looks like what would happen in real life, which is that like modern day is that if you had a good sounding uh, like story, you would have like 14 people following you where in the actual story in the actual, you know, right. the biblical account it, it sweeps like wildfire. Like he has a, a, a this huge following and they a try thousands. to make him He has an army, yeah. And they try to, they want him to lead a revolution. That's what everybody thinks the Messiah is going to do is come and throw off the shackles of, of Rome. Um, and all of his, you know, the elements of like apocalyptic prophecy that's in his speaking, most of that comes from other books of the Bible, but the parts that are from the Gospels, and at the time to their ears, this all sounds like, oh yeah, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna destroy Rome down to its foundations. Like we're gonna rise up and and throw off the off the shackles. So
1: I alluded to this earlier, but I don't know if you're talking about like the environment, but and the spareness of the number of people they have with them or whatever. But yes, I also found it very spare to the point that he very clearly didn't want to show any sort of greenery or verdancy until at the end he has the temptation and he sees essentially the land of milk and honey or whatever. And we see like green rolling Hills with trees and stuff. But before that, they're so spare with even water sources being on camera that I want. It seems from the sequences, like I wonder how the people survive (laughs) like they're in a, they're in like a blasted wasteland with no water and no plants. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's almost like a series of sound stages, but it's not, it's a series of setups in the desert, um, but Mm -hmm. very simple, which makes for a very like, you know, like clear blue sky, beige ground actors there. And it makes for a very almost theatrical experience or like a staged experience. Uh, what did you think of, I mean, I, all I could think of is what a perfect meme format it is. And I'm surprised that I haven't seen it. Uh, what do you think of. Satan being represented as a flame. I Not that original, I guess, but I really liked the moment where he goes, but my guardian angel, and looks at the guardian angel, and Kaitel goes, uh-uh, Satan, <laughs> and it Satan. turns into a flame. Yeah. I'm like, you could plug anything into that guardian angel slot. That's funny.
0: That's I mean, not I, my favorite Satan moment. Uh, the snake telling Jesus, look at my breasts is the funniest moment in oh, the Oh, yeah, film. look at my snake breasts, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and- yeah. yeah.
2: If I think if Martin Scorsese had a hundred million dollars to make the movie today, Mm -hmm. it would look very, very, very different. To the point of, I think there's entire scenes and sequences that he probably did not include purely for budget limitations, because this is a very small scale movie. Like it just feels small. It feels like a very like a local dispute breaking out among a small group of a small town. And I don't know what the population of Judea or the area was at the time, but it's in the Bible. It's again, it's described as a mass movement and big things happening, and there are miracles that occur. And I think now, like the way, I wonder how he would portray Satan. I wonder how because it would not just be like a rubber snake that comes on. I think there would be a very elaborate uh, sequence that really tries to convey a devil that is trying to appeal to all of his human senses, to his lust. Like he would come in the form of, uh, you know, a, a really hot woman or whatever. It doesn't make sense to have the, the snake say, look at my, because, look at my rock uh, and yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, But that's the sequence where you need, that's where effects and, and, uh, you know, and stuff like that does make a difference because he's, Hallucinating. Or he's having a vision, as the Bible say. He's having a vision of, of of Satan tempting him, and that should really be something to look at. Like, that should be extremely disturbing or vivid, and they just can't convey it. Like, their Satan is just... It seems like they had, like, a hose of gas or something in the, in the sand, and That's it just right. up a flame It's just a little kind of meager fire <sighs> that it looks like you could probably stamp out with if you had good boots on. Um, but that—that's all. It, it's a very small-scale movie. Whereas you compare it to like the Mel, the Mel Gibson movie, um, the Passion of Christ, and like how mm. incredible, like the makeup and and gore and effects and the blood, blood work and, drops, yeah, yeah, like how visceral Roman it legions, is. Um, yeah. Whatever you find ugly about that movie or about Mel Gibson, like in terms of doing what he was trying to do, which is convey the visceral actual suffering and what it would have meant to endure it. Yeah. Extremely effective. Like it's a, and it took a budget to do that. It's the, the makeup work was expensive and difficult. And the actor passed out many times because he had like the rubber, you know, scars all over his body and like, he couldn't breathe in it. He
0: got hit by lightning twice.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: What? Yep. Jim Caviezel. Caviezel. hit. Got hit by lightning twice. Uh, once, particularly when he was on the cross, yeah, because he's on a giant thing on the top of a hill during a thunderstorm. <laughs> you think that as a filmmaker, you'd take that as a sign, right?
2: Not yeah. Mel Gibson, you would Not take Gibson it as a sign, be. Oh, Not well, good old you, you Mel. only be more sure
1: that you're right. The finger of God is pointing at our production as Sane. if to say, yes, yes, that do that. Uh, Keep doing it, Mel. <laughs> Another <laughs> moment I wanted to bring up just. I just because this has to be a diversion because it happens in the dream portion, uh, but I just thought it was very interesting. So I believe it's a Scorsese choice, right? That in Jesus's fantasy life, Mary Magdalene dies, and he marries Lazarus's sister whose name is also Mary, Mary Lazarus. Mm-hmm. It's like, the dude is crazy for Mary's. What is that about? Are and you... then uh, what I really want to ask is, what is this about? Listen, says the angel. There's only one woman in the world with many faces. One dies, the next one comes. Mary Magdalene is dead, but Mary, Lazarus's <laughs> sister, she lives. She carries your son. Um, Broads, am I right? <laughs> is of course, yeah. Is that a, based on a... Probably none of us know. But I'm wondering if that's based on an actual biblical passage. Or, no,
2: or not if that's whatsoever. Ju-
1: so that's Scorsese saying, broads, they're all the same, which is just a very weird message to slip <laughs> into the dream to portion in. of Jesus'
2: death. To clarify, I, I don't know if either of you guys, I, I don't know what you're, were you, either one of you raised religiously, Michael? You said you weren't. Mm-mm, very secular.
0: I was not raised, I was raised secular, but I went to private uh, Catholic school.
2: Okay, well, then you know that, like, in this film, the character of Mary Magdalene, they've taken several women in the Bible and just combined them, which is something you do in a screenplay, right? Like, you you can't have an overpopulated movie, so you combine characters. Uh, Same thing they'll do with biopics, right? Like, if a guy has a mentor... Like in Moneyball, it's um, Brad Pitts who played his the, the other guy in Moneyball. Um, Jonah, I Hill. Like him. Jonah, yeah, Ball. Jonah Hill. Yeah, Joan Hill. Joan Hill's character, like that's not a real person. He is a conglomerate of several people that right. helped out. He's like a whole team of guys. But in a movie, you need one face that people can attach. So that's Mary Magdalene in this film. Like she in the Bible is not the woman who was being stoned to death and that he's saved from that in the in the bible it's um he, he's she's a woman who he cast several demons from and then was kind of traveling around with the with the disciples and then she was one of the first ones to see him when he was resurrected that here she basically like most of the women he comes across in the bible they've just made that Mary Magdalene each time which is more efficient storytelling but that is a deviation the line of there's only one woman and it, <laughs> And that she just wears many different faces. That has to be from the novel, because I can't imagine why a screenwriter would add that. Yes, and I don't know. They have an axe
1: to grind, yeah.
2: Well, I don't know what they're trying to convey other than the angel telling Jesus that it's okay to move on from Mary Magdalene, who, in the movie, again, dies in childbirth. Obviously, in real life, Jesus did not have kids, unless mm-hmm. you read The Da Vinci Code and, and believed Or seen Dogma. Uh, Mm -hmm. That yeah, Um, and then it's like the angels thing. Well, it doesn't matter. Like, just swap in another one. They're all the same. I don't know why that's in there. Uh, Maybe it's I'm. Maybe this is my ignorance. Maybe somebody has asked Martin Scorsese that. Maybe he's explained it at length. I actually could not find that many interviews where he talked about like his motivations, the digressions, yeah, um, Mm -hmm. for like what he changed or whatever, or even why or like what attracted him this project other than him saying that he had always wanted to do like he knew that was one of the movies he wanted to make so in terms of like what choices he chose to leave in or leave out I don't know if he's just mostly adhering to the novel or if he just if he has his his own reasons I I don't know Mm -hmm.
0: or if it's something that a few time collaborator writer of the screenplay Paul Schrader who did taxi driver and raging raging bull with Scorsese was the writer of this. And he has his own, I don't know, ax to grind. Uh, I don't, we don't know is the point. Um, but it came from somewhere and it's on, it's on the TV. Uh, (laughs) so that's it. Uh, yeah, it's very strange. The digressions that he makes because some of them seem to be motivated completely by his desire to make the human side more apparent, but other times he kinda yada yadas through the uh the god aspect, you know, like mm-hmm. you guys both mentioned the water to wine moment. Whereas like, well, if he is supernatural, that really alters the subject of the the story. Because he could have saved mm-hmm. himself with Pontius Pilate. So, and isn't that a human thing to do? Isn't that a human temptation? He didn't do it then. He did it when he was literally on the cross. So the motivations are very unclear when you actually put all the details together, which I think is another. As the mind of God
1: is, or as the, I think part of the Jesus story has always been. You always, like even as a little kid, my first question, I think a lot of people's first question is. Well, why doesn't he just do a miracle and prove it? If he did a miracle over there, he raised Lazarus. Why doesn't he just do another miracle when the guy asked him to? And it's like, you don't get to understand that. That's the whole, right? I mean, there is a faith component. That's part of what he says in this as well. They have the little dialogue about, um, I'm saying the words of God and it's important, but why is it important? Uh, if it, whether, uh, How do we even know that happened? Because everyone believes it. Well, what if it didn't really happen? Well, it doesn't matter. It's still important because it's what people believe. So there is an appeal to the basic precept of faith without proof, right? New Which there pitch. always has to be.
0: Yes? New pitch. He shows David Bowie mm-hmm. that he can raise the dead. And then Pontius Pilate becomes uh, just convict. king of the earth. Because he has an undead army. Oh, the,
1: he raises a zombie army, Lord of the Rings style. Yeah, yeah and he just course. like
0: keeps he just keeps Jesus in a cage, you know. Decide just says, all like, his ra- rage. Raise, raise, <laughs> raise more dead for me. Yeah, maybe it's that's what he feared. Such maybe. a
2: different world that in, like 2022, Martin Scorsese could make a zombie Jesus movie, and nobody would even blink. Oh, like he a star, could make Jesus Bigelow
1: male gigolo, <laughs> and people and would be like, "That's a funny twist."
0: It's eh, funny. Eh,
2: it's kind of hack, but eh, whatever we do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think part of part of what you were getting at here is that the Jesus story in that template is so baked into our like epic movies where the hero, like Braveheart, you know, in the end, like he's a mighty warrior, but ultimately he wins by dying. Right, it's them torturing him to death, and then his the character he showed in in taking the torture or whatever. That is what ultimately inspired Scotland to rise up and throw off their chains or whatever. That the the act of dying actually in appearing to lose you actually won, and that's how it has survived in our culture and in epic movie culture. You know the the you know ultimately Neo and the Matrix has to. Has to to right. be killed, and then he can overcome death. And only by doing that does he, you know, realize that actually that does fulfill. Well, him he usher[s] being the in
1: one. a new era for humanity, as they always. Yeah, do. yeah. Sixty five percent of our epic heroes are Jesus.
2: <laughs> yeah, and so it's such a standard template that when you see the original, you don't realize that the original deviates in an important way because each of those times, usually, what it's saying is that the message is bigger than one person it, like right. by dying you inspired others to pick up your banner and carry on and that's why and it's so the whole the whole thing that's inspiring is that yeah they can kill me they can kill my body they can kill our mm-hmm. leader but they can't kill the bigger thing, which is the thirst in America, it's the thirst for freedom, usually, right? Like that's usually the, the thing that's driving us. It's not necessarily Christianity, but it's that's it's, the message yeah. that we
1: fold into it these days. Yeah. Or yeah. And by these days I mean for the last hundred years or whatever. Yeah. It's,
2: it's casting off oppression and casting off tyranny. And so right. um and then, then we even with our historical figures, like we rewrite them to be a to christ type figure like mm. martin luther king we think of him the same way it's like like he died but you know that in dying he sacrificed himself and showed that he was willing and it's like well okay but also his death was a sense of tragedy if he lived yeah uh, been yeah cooler right like it, been, <laughs> like it would have been like it's it something the, the urge to romanticize it because it's, it's a way of saying you can't kill the movement that easily which is a and positive so message yeah well, right, but it's been corrupted Depending to the point, movement. to the point where now. Like every like right wing grifter politician who oh, goes so to uses it, yeah, who goes to jail. It's right. like, well, they're persecuting me just like they persecuted Jesus. <laughs> right, 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 it's been diluted. It, it's to like the you're, yeah. you're going to jail for tax evasion. You're not.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's funny to me that the uh, storytellers, uh, all story, all storytellers think that the most powerful thing in the universe is story. <laughs> well, right fancy that well i Um, was just thinking how fundamental
1: i mean to the point that i'm sitting here while you guys are talking loading like quran summary quran collectivism um because i'm looking at like because you know there are i think it's such a fundamental story to our culture that it also because we frequently talk about right how there's only seven stories and we all we talk about the hero mm -hmm. with a thousand faces and joseph campbell and yet i think we can sometimes forget that not even that is encoded into the DNA of the universe. Stories don't have to be that. We think that even that comes in part from one of the most mimetically successful stories of our culture, which have Western culture, which happens to be the Jesus story, which happens to enshrine individualism and and the individual hero's journey. Like, I think the Bible is literally a reason that most of our stories are the way they are. Uh, And I think I'm interested in exploring like collectivist culture films. (laughs) I think this is going to encourage me to try and do that more. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Films that are grown out of a completely different story tradition or story template. That's an interesting thought to me because I so often take for granted that this is, it's almost like saying our scale of music. Yeah. That's how music should sound. And then you hear, other cultures' musical scales, and you're like, oh, that's also music. <laughs> I yeah, didn't realize a, you could do that.
0: It's also one of the causes of one of the greater disconnects from stories trying to translate over here in america for example or vice versa in a lot of cases like for example a lot of people uh in the west were like when they saw Kira were like i don't know what the fuck that man- meant you know <laughs> and yeah. it's like well yeah it's because eastern myths are not western myths you're not so, as fluent you don't you're not steeped the vert- in the ability to understand this yeah the lexicon the vocabulary is slightly different even though a lot of the themes when they get down to it there's a lot of similarity um i think it is a fascinating thing it's one to uh expand your horizons
2: um, that's right yeah well this is where you're getting into great ideas of what what purpose does mythology serve and so the like the most crude explanation if you don't believe any of this stuff is true Um, or you don't believe that the supernatural exists, you say, well, this story is simply meant to convey to future generations, hey, your heroes of the past were willing to die for this cause. Therefore, you owe them, you know, it's like 300, right? The 300 Spartans Mm -hmm. in in Mm -hmm. that movie and the whole story. It's like, hey, you know, ultimately this small group of people uh, sacrificed their lives, for to save whatever, whatever you want to whatever insert Western for. civilization, yeah. freedom, none of which is it's that simple. When like them right, versus the course. Persian Empire, but you see how that gets repackaged for modern, where they're basically Americans. It's it's like they're all about freedom and about you know standing up against mysticism and all the weird the weird foreign otherness of the the Persians. Um, and, but ultimately, the, you have a myth that's saying, hey. These guys died so you could live your current lifestyle. Therefore, if someone comes in and threatens our values or threatens what we have, you must do the same. You must be willing to sacrifice. You must be willing to lay down your life. And so you would say, well, this is like a set of instructions that takes hold because it's what holds society together. It's it's how you convey to the next group and the next group, you need to be willing to sacrifice. Because you only have the things you have because this guy in the past sacrificed himself; he suffered, so you must be willing to to do the same thing. Whereas, if the if a the, uh, different culture with different traditions could emphasize a totally different element of because you can, there's more than one way to survive. You know, running there's a suicide mission, Yeah, there's more than yeah. one
1: way to lens through which to view these thing We call
2: life, <laughs> yeah, could emphasize staying alive or cooperating or, or you know, being mm-hmm. around to or strategically retreating and saying, No, we'll get them later. We don't do that in America, our <laughs> heroes don't. It, it's we, we don't prize compromise, you know. We don't have many action movies that are about, like, you know, what, if we just give up this small piece of land, um, it could actually be fine, you know, <laughs> These if we let, let the aliens on in Independence now. Day, if we yeah. let them give have Australia. Inch. They actually said they'd be fine with that. And then we would just, the rest of us will keep the rest of the earth. That's a small price to pay to make this war stop. It's like, no, a guy has to sacrifice his life in a tiny little plane to blow up the alien laser. <laughs> David that's slays our, Goliath, but he
1: has to die too. Yeah, Yes,
2: that that's your Christ figure there. He has to, uh, the guy has to sacrifice himself for humanity. And, and otherwise we don't, it, it doesn't get that round of applause in the theater. And yes, when I saw Independence Day, the audience applauded. At that moment. Uh, People used to do that in 1986. Oh, my dad would never shut up
1: about how he uh, was just told to go down to the theater with like a buck in his pocket because the parents wanted him out of the house for a while. And he walked into the movie that was showing that he didn't know anything about because it was 1960, whatever. And there weren't trailers and shit. And it was something called Planet of the Apes. And he has like never had a more thrilling film experience than when. Charlton Heston gets his voice back and he is like people stood and like stomped their feet and screamed for like five minutes. <laughs> I'm like, that would have been in hall- it that would have been a fun experience a hall- to experience that kind of flabbergasted mm-hmm. people like diving out of the way because <laughs> the train's
0: gonna hit the screen. And when movies were first invented, we put yeah. a train on screen. That's right, yeah. People yeah. ran away in fear. People used yeah, to riot because of operas that they
1: heard. <laughs> it's um, wild out here in these streets. <laughs> uh, all, you, love- all
2: you listeners out there, go on YouTube after this is over, and look up audience reactions to the Hollywood movie RRR in the oh, native yeah,
1: That's true. It's still alive. And the audiences
2: there almost tear that theater down at the big, oh. the, uh, like the big musical number starts like they go nuts and it is it is wonderful to watch because i can't remember the last time right. i've like given myself over to something that to way that degree yeah
0: i yeah thank you for saying wonderful because i recently watched like a tiktok that was i'd never seen it before i had never seen any of this because i'm a very uh cynical man and when i saw some reactions to Aven- avengers Endgame*, where they brought everyone back at the end spoilers mm. for the biggest movie of all time and um people lost their minds or
1: wept or whatever yeah. yeah
0: and i was like and all i could all i to me it's good for us to remember as kind of cynics as people who like kind of look at this stuff with kind of eyes that are just like, why do you got to do that and ruin that? Uh, You know, there is a beauty to a lot of that. And I think that acknowledging that is a part, a healthy part of doing what we do. Yeah, um, sounds so I'm like glad you, you said wonderful.
1: Sounds like you're due for a rewatch of the It's Mega Man. Oh my god, hero, <laughs> <Yeah>. of, <laughs> hero of space or whatever video.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The Smash Brothers tournament
2: <laughs> <laughs> where <laughs> Mega, Mega Man, Man is got revealed. a power yeah. up, yeah. <laughs> and
0: about forty five thousand people lost their mind. Especially one announcer. It's always yeah, fun it's, to watch um, stuff it's like that. Humans go human go. You know, um, true. so bad human. Bad. And
2: Adventures is a great example because Tony Stark there plays the Hollywood version of the mm-hmm. Christ character is usually somebody who's very like glib and selfish or whatever in the beginning and then ultimately sacrifice themselves that's why Han Solo was supposed to die in mm-hmm. the third Star Wars movie the and then they just story. didn't because they were afraid they wouldn't sell as many action figures um, mm-hmm. but his character arc is purely set up for him to die. Because the whole thing is, he starts out, he's purely selfish, you know, purely into it for the money, he doesn't care, and then slowly comes around and helps out a little bit, helps the rebellion. Dies for the rebellion, the, yeah. The second movie comes around, and then the third movie, him, like, sacrificing himself to bring down the shield so the Death Star, they can go in and take out the Empire for good. That would have been the perfect end to his character arc. That franchise started to go off the rails the moment George Lucas said... I don't think dead Han Solo would sell very many action figures, which is the quote oh, that like allegedly. Said, yeah.
1: Oh, sorry, that's an actual quote.
2: Allegedly, I don't remember allegedly, if it was yeah. Harrison Ford who said that, but because Harrison Ford, again, anyone being familiar with movies would say, okay, well, this is the movie where Han Solo dies. Just as anyone familiar with movies knew that at some point Tony Stark had to die. Like that's again yeah. the the selfish jerk. You know, mm. finally agrees to come around and embrace what it means so to have this power, and and struggling with price, yeah. with what he owes the world, what he you know, what is his responsibility, and then ultimately have, having to you know sacrifice himself um, to be the Christ figure and make the selfless sacrifice to save the universe. Uh, well, you were
1: talking about how it's hard to sit there and be like, "Wow, he turned water into wine." I feel the same way about Jedi's flipping around. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's, it's hard to
1: say legitimately go wow at any kind of magic i don't know that's why that's as i age more and more that's what's losing it. it's i don't get hooked into a film because they're like imagine if you could have telekinesis i'm like oh i've imagined that quite <laughs> yeah. quite, quite thoroughly <laughs> uh yeah okay well, yeah. well now we're talking about avengers and shit should we wrap up i think it might be time I think mm-hmm. it's
0: it is accomplished.
1: I will yeah. point it is accomplished. I will <laughs> point out as of my final thought that it's interesting that well, through a class consciousness lens, everything becomes cynical. But it's interesting that through that lens you can also look at this movie and the takeaway message can be, yeah, you can't beat City Hall the rome cannot be mm. defeated it will kill you the best <laughs> you can do is pretend no that was good i wanted to die uh anyway i bummed yeah. myself out
0: well um, i mean they got the paul thing paul says at the end like yeah. my jesus is better than you jesus you know like mm-hmm. because your story now and that's uh you know that's fine that's what matters story uh, story the story the story's the best, as told by a screen. As told by us. <laughs> all right. Um, well, Jason, you mentioned
1: your book. You didn't mention, and you mentioned your social accounts, but I don't think you said your social account handles. Um, feel free to mention your book again if you want somewhere in the mix. But where can people find all your updates? Like, what is your username most places?
2: Uh, just Google my name. It's different on every platform. Jason Smart. Pargin, P A R G I N. Just, uh, there's not many people with that name. It's you'll. The first thing you'll get is all of the. I'm on all. I'm on all of them except for I don't have a Snapchat. I actually don't know how that works. Um, hmm. I'm sure there's That's several new ones. That, You're old. <laughs> I don't know. If I, like I don't have a Vine, but I think I think Vine is gone. Yes. Um but the the novel's called If This Book Exists, you're in the wrong universe. It is up for pre order now. It is out in October. Uh which maybe is,
0: we'll have you on when you're doing your uh water bottle tour. Uh God, I, I, I uh I hope so. Uh <laughs> yeah, gotta get that word of mouth man. I can this is enthusiasm
2: in your sigh. It is that is the that is a brutal time of the year. And I say brutal, I realize there are people out there with real jobs and that I am working from home writing dumb stories and getting paid a paycheck for it. I realize that. it but it's it your is, version of brutal. It's valid. It is mentally and from a mental health standpoint to go, like I will probably do 15 podcasts around the, the few weeks around the book's release and talking endlessly about myself and my process in the book. No creative person enjoys that part of it. I guess, well, that's not true. I'm sure some people do. I don't think very highly of people that do enjoy that part more than the creating part. <laughs> Why
1: would you get into it for that
2: part? <laughs> yeah, it's weird. And the people who... My
0: name and lights. My name and lights. Yeah, mm. the
2: people who want to be... A, they don't want to be an actor. They want to be a star. It's like, mm. it, it's like, no, I don't yeah, respect do. <laughs> that. I, so I like the writing part. The, the, the part of selling the books is what I have to do so that I can continue to have a home to live in while, while I write. Uh, it, it, yeah, no one wants to hear about my problems, but it, it, I, will, I would love to be back. It will be in October. Maybe we'll have a scary movie to talk about.
1: Yep. Gird yeah. your loins for that. Mm-hmm. Heck yes. Thanks
0: for joining us today. I would
1: treasure the opportunity. Yeah, thank you as always. Lovely to catch up.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh,
1: and thank you all for listening. And thanks to Zach for bringing thank you, you this episode. Head over to patreon.com smallbeans small beans. If you want to check out any of our, uh, you know, patron only pods behind the paywall or join us on the small beans, discord server Monday night for movie nights, which we do I think that's all Abe. Is that all the housekeeping? You, you nailed it, dude. All right. Speaking of nailing it. Nope. I'm not going to make that reference. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs>